Hello and welcome to the second episode of Sports Quorum Deo. The first one went so well we had to do it again and just like last time, I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Wright, and I'm here with my buddy Terry Felton. Terry, how you doing up in the frozen wasteland that is Pennsylvania tonight? I'm doing great. It is a winter wonderland here tonight, Jeff. Mm, have you seen Father Christmas? I have not. Uh, that means Aslan is not yet on the move. <laughs> True. Beware, blondes offering, what was that stuff, Turkish Delight? Turkish Delight, that is correct. You ever had Turkish Delight? Uh, yeah, my wife made it one time uh, for my kids and I. Well, I would never slander the good cooking name of Amanda <laughs> Felton, but when I first had Turkish Delight, I realized what a fool Edmund really was. Edmund was a fool. I agree. So, guys, we are uh, we're pre NCAA tournament. We're pre conference tournament in NCAA basketball, and so we thought we would uh, we'd take the pulse of the sporting world there. And so, Terry, here at the First Baptist Church Quorum Deo, I'm going to ask you to grab your Baptist hymnal, turn to 524, and we're going to sing the third verse of "We're Marching to Zion, Brother." And that's all that college basketball has become, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, for like half the NBA, that's all the NBA season has become. Um, he definitely has the NCAA world and the NBA world right now. So I've I've heard all this stuff about uh, the best prospect since LeBron. Do, do you agree with that? Mm, best since LeBron. I think that I think I do agree with that from from a prospect standpoint because the physical side of him is while some see it as a negative, others see it as a positive. But no matter where you are on it, it, it seems like he's a full grown man. Um, certainly from a skill set, I think Kevin Durant was was right there being a great prospect. But there were concerns about his size, even though he's six ten, six eleven in college, he probably wasn't even two hundred pounds. And so I think maybe those type of things um, generate the discussion. He's the best prospect since LeBron. The fact he plays for Duke, who is beloved by ESPN and always going to be um, on their primetime slots for games, and he's going to get all the hype from them, uh, certainly doesn't hurt that argument either. Yeah, he, he does. You know, one of his legs probably does weigh what Kevin Durant weighed at Texas. But um, I, you you got to the one in my mind. I think Kevin Durant was the best prospect since LeBron. And he, again, I know I've said this before on the podcast. I don't mean to be a broken record. I'm rooting for Zion. I want him to become a phenomenal basketball player in the NBA. Like, I like good basketball, so I'm rooting for it. I'm not rooting against him. But I knew what I knew what Kevin Durant could come to the NBA and do at an NBA level. I knew that guy had a stroke. And I just don't know what that is for Zion just yet. And I don't know... Yeah, I, I just don't know what he does day one to contribute to an NBA team, and so I'm hesitant to I'm hesitant even to say he's the best prospect since uh, Durant. But in, in I guess what I am comfortable saying is that he's the most intriguing prospect since Shaq. You know, Shaq had that mm-hmm. charisma and the physicality, and uh, he was just a spectacle to behold. Zion's definitely that. I, I like the I like the Shaq comparison there. I think you you've hit on something there for sure. Now you know, obviously, as you talk about LeBron, you're talking about one who really I, I don't know if if we look back and say he changed the game, but LeBron came in with a skill set and a size that most would say uh, had not been seen since Magic Johnson. 
Could Zion, with his size and skill set, although it's different, come in and sort of redefine or change even some position dynamics? Because I know last time we talked, that was that's one of your hesitations about him is where is he going to play in the NBA if he really is a legit just six six, maybe maybe six seven and two eighty two ninety, um, who's limited at least right now doesn't seem to have the jumper that. Um, that would need to be had with the current setup of the NBA. Do you think Zion could be a game changer and just be such a freak of nature that, that that's how he develops? And, you know, let's be honest right now for Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, he's doing all right in the NBA without much of a three-point shot. Granted, he's got some other physical gifts that help him, but it's working out for Giannis this year. We kind of did a soft open there. So, guys, we're fully into the big idea. Just talking about pre-tourney uh, season college basketball at this point, and, and the first thing we wanted to ask is whether or not we were, or at least I, had become a Zion believer yet. So you raised the comparison to Giannis, and I think that's fair because you're looking at two players whose physicality is still their greatest asset. Um, I think with Zion, so I got a two-fold answer for you. I would love to see Zion go to a team that is truly innovative and forward-thinking in how they play the game because I think that's going to be required to maximize his uh, return on investment. So I think a – I just think it takes such a unique – combination of franchise and coach to really see that happen. Like Mike D'Antoni would be one of the guys you would think maybe, but D'Antoni's thing is perimeter play, right? That's not exactly what Zion needs. Or if you, if you look at like what franchise would be willing to do whatever it takes to make him succeed. I think Dallas would be an example of that, right? But I don't know that Rick Carlisle is going to relearn the game of basketball around a six foot six power player. Right, and they, you know, obviously they're all in on Luca and Chris Tabs. He would, you know, Zion would do well with that skill set around him, I'm sure. But nonetheless, I just, I really have a hard time seeing who the coach is today who would take Zion and do something creative with him. I think back in the day, Don Nelson would have been the guy. Or if you go even further back, a guy like Doug Moe. Like those dudes would have seen a new toy here, and let's do something to freak everybody out with it. Um, but the Warriors have so constrained the NBA's style of play and the vision they have for basketball and, and advanced metrics too, not wrongly. I just don't know who goes out and says, how do we, how do we build an entire team for, you know, you hope a decade or more around Zion? Yeah. Right. Proposals? Oh, well, I, I mean, ultimately one of the things has to happen then, right? You either have to have a franchise that lucks into a position to draft him and they get this player that that becomes everything everyone hoped it would be and even if they have to go through a coach or two or three to get the coach right a la Michael Jordan and the Bulls they're willing to do that or do you Jeff see any teams not at the at the bottom of the NBA currently but do you see any NBA teams come with a significant trade offer for Zion or for the number one pick to whichever team ends up getting that because they have an idea of what they could or what they would want to do and they'd be willing to give up um, assets current and future to get that pick for him because they see him in that regard. I think, you know, obviously 
we, we look probably up and down the league and, and say, you know, the top coaches are probably coaching the teams that are contenders that are not going to be in the lottery, except for a few of the, the picks that were for trades years ago or whatever. Do you see any teams that would be willing to do that, that that would make sense that they would be able to leverage some of their assets and go get him? Terry, I got two for you, bud. Okay. So I got two, and let me do this. Since we said we were going to talk at the top of the show about college basketball, let me put a pin on that. You right. think on it, let our listeners think about it, and uh, we'll, we'll come back to that when we get into So Sorry to Interrupt here in just a minute, okay? Sounds good. All right, so am I a Zion believer yet? I mean, Terry, let me ask you that question first. Are you all in on Zion? Yes, and if for nothing else, I just want to see what he becomes. Um, I think that the athletic ability, I mean, even offensively, if there's limitations or whatever, um, watching some of the freakish stuff he's done defensively, um, he's not blocking shots. He is volleyball spiking shots. Uh, My son and I were watching some Zion highlights um, just a a little while ago and just saying this is this is a freakish talent that is coming through uh, this particular uh, time in college basketball. My son's 13 and, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, he looked back in 15 years and say, you know, that was his generation's LeBron James. He may, he may not. Uh, but but I'm all in it if for nothing else but that. I think he's just – I think he's, he's captivating. And, and, and then you, you put in all the personality things and just seems like a, a neat young man and, and all those dynamics. And I think there's a lot – um, a lot of reason to, to be a believer um, in him. Well, I'm with you on everything you said at the college level. And there's some context here. I hate Duke just slightly less than I hate false gospels. I mean, they are everything I think that's wrong with major athletics on a national stage. But like you just said about Zion, you can't help but watch. And in fact, you can't help but enjoy. And I mean, that has taken over me. So I am 100% in on Zion as like National Player of the Year. And I'm even saying that as a guy who, who hopes Grant Williams actually wins the award. I'm I'm still, if you know, if you flip me from the NCAA to the NBA, I can say this. If I had the number one pick in the draft, I would not have enough guts to not draft Zion, okay? Yeah. But I would be sweating bullets uh, from the moment I turned the pick in. So I, I just, yeah, I still just need to see one complete NBA skill. If it were rebounding, that'd be fine. If it were passing, that'd be fine. And passing is probably the thing that I've seen from him that he's closest to NBA ready at. So maybe that's it by the time tournament's over. Right. But uh, I, I, I would feel a lot better on the NBA level if I could just point to this one thing and say that's what keeps him in a in an eight-player rotation as a rookie. Yeah, and you made the point last episode and, and this one as well, and, and you're right. Uh, whoever has number one really can't can't afford to not take him. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and your point last time, unless it would be one of these franchises that has such a solid reputation in the front office of being so wise, so thorough, so good, and, and I think has productivity uh, behind them to um, to back up their willingness to not pick him because he, he, he's going to be a marketing delight. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, for, for some of these 
somewhat morbid bound franchises, they, they desperately need him. And maybe that's part of the reason why there's such a captivating uh, thing about him going back to like LeBron as well. Uh, whoever got number one was taking LeBron in 2003. Whoever got uh, number one pick in 1985 was taking Patrick Ewing. Sure. Because, the, you know, Ewing certainly had proven himself. LeBron was was dominating, you know, but you still didn't know for sure. But especially once Cleveland got it, there was no way they couldn't could not take him because, you know, the hometown guy and, and all that. And, and, and Zion's the same way. Will will it translate? We don't know. There's plenty of NBA number one picks that did not pan out, unfortunately, uh, for, for various reasons. Yeah, man, I, I I think Zion's got better odds than this, but there's always the Derek Coleman option. You know what I mean? Oh gosh! And uh, I just I hope better things for Zion than that. So hey, Derek we're, Coleman, man. Yeah, I mean, but remember him in college, man. I mean, I know that's going yeah. way back to our childhood, but you watch that kid's highlights. You thought he was going to be the next big thing, and he was good ish. Yep. In the league, you know, I think he had a few few all star performances, yeah, you know, along the way. But 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 to your point, you know, about the right fit in the right franchise, I think a lot can be said. That I mean, Derek Coleman went to a bad Nets team, a bad Nets franchise, and you know, would would it have made a difference had he went to a contender, you know, or went to a more solidly run franchise? Um, you know, we'll we'll never know. I mean, he had Kendall Gill with him, Jeff. I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> Counterfeit Jordan. Um, <laughs> well, hey, since it is college basketball uh, on our minds right now, we are just moments away from the tip-off of uh, Duke-UNC, and I've got it on in the background. Do you as well? I am turning on as we speak. Okay. Well, before the before the tip-off, who you got and by how much? Uh, I think Duke – I think Duke wins tonight, and I think I think I saw like the the spread was like nine. Uh, I think they win probably um, between six and ten tonight. It's it's at Cameron Indoor, and yes, it is. Uh, I, I lean toward the home team in this rivalry, so I think Duke gets them tonight, and I I think Carolina can certainly beat them uh, when they go back to Chapel Hill in uh, probably what a couple weeks from now, whenever that'll be. Yeah. Man, I, I'm just with you. I wish I could say otherwise, but Carolina is better this year than I thought they would be. I didn't think we'd be the eighth team in the country. I say we like I'm on the team. I didn't think they'd be eighth in the country coming into this game. Uh, so they're they're better than I expected. But also, I have not watched them, even in their biggest wins, I've not watched them and thought, these guys really believe they're a top ten team and that they feel like they're going to figure out a way to win if the game gets tight. So, I don't know. It just that doesn't seem like the kind of team I want to run into, Cameron Indoor. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, and I don't think it's talent because I think there's plenty of talent on their team, I don't look at Carolina this year and feel like they're a national title title contender. I don't think for, they for, for whatever they reason. Yeah. yeah. Now, sometimes that turns out to be, you know, a recipe for magic for Carolina, but I just don't see it with this year's squad. But hey, prove me wrong, guys. You go at it right now and prove me wrong. Um, while, while we're talking about Duke UNC, this is the best rivalry in sports, right? It's got to be. And and while you're saying that, Zion Williamson is down clutching his ankle. Oh, so my gosh. Just, just FYI. And if anything happens to that young man, then um, our, our podcast must have some type of very 
um, strange, strange abilities um, that I, I, I don't know if I can really dive into thinking about at the moment. Anyway, don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Dude, you just watched Cameron Indoor collectively have a heart attack. That's they, just they, what happened. They did. And now NBA front offices are punting their tanking strategies and um, are calling their head coaches and saying, hey, stop trying to lose games. Dude. Yeah, he's got his hand on his knee. I'm not excited about that. We're just going to we're gonna take a moment here for thoughts and prayers for Zion. Yeah. The only person I don't want those prayers to cover is Coach K. <laughs> Just uh, let that worm turn under the heat. Remember, Jeff, the Lord takes no joy, no pleasure, even in the death of the wicked. Oh, I'm but a man, Terry Felton. <laughs> and I am not the Holy One of Israel. Uh, I don't want Coach K to die. I just want him to suffer. <laughs> anyway, I'm sort of kidding. Some. Um, so, yeah, best. Duke Carolina. Great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the conversation always comes up about best sports rivalries. And I really, you know, for me, I always feel you got to categorize them even more and start telling me what sport you're talking about. You know, because we say Duke Carolina, we know immediately you're talking college basketball. No one thinks Duke Carolina is a huge rivalry in college football, except maybe those players on that team. Yeah, not without not without (laughs) of the radius of like 50 miles of tobacco road. You know what I mean? Right. Those people care. But if you're going to care about it beyond that, you're. Uh, it, the national audience only cares about it in basketball. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that, except that I still think that Duke UNC transcends even that designator. So let's that you made a great point, but let's start ranking our um, our top sports rivalries, and then we'll get okay. to why you think it's sports specific. Okay. okay. Yep. So Terry, let's go back. Uh, let's go reverse to first. So. Who's your? We'll do top five. Who's your fifth greatest sports rivalry? Uh, I'll go with the Lakers and the Celtics in the NBA. Okay, and you want to elaborate on why that is? Um, they're the two most storied franchises. They've played a ton of times in the finals. Mostly the Celtics beating the Lakers going back, you know, in the '60s. I think they first played in the finals in 1959, if memory mm. serves right. And so. Um, I think every, I believe every decade except the 2000s, they met at, at some point uh, in the, you know, in the finals and just such historic players and moments and venues. And um, you've got West Coast and East Coast, you know, it, th- there's just so much there. And uh, I'm also reading that. Um, when the game was ours, um, yeah. book still about uh, Magic and Larry, um, and that rivalry, and how in the eighties that was so huge. So, yeah, I just think uh, I think again, if, you know, we talk about later, but categorize. I think professional basketball, you can't argue um, at, at all, and I think they're definitely in my top five. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with you. You can't really find an era of the NBA when those two franchises weren't the most relevant, and their mm-hmm. games against one another weren't some of the most important or compelling or both within the the decade or whatever that you're using for a time frame you know yeah um so you took one of mine off the table there but it's not my number five so my number five is more of a point of respect okay uh it is not one that i personally am deeply invested in other than that i just appreciate these guys and so i went with army versus navy yeah great one this is not your typical college uh, rivalry. There's not a lot of sponsor money or future professional, 
you know, uh, careers in the NFL on the line. These guys are playing for the pride of their institution and part of the, I don't know, part of the development that they're going through as they, they become leaders in the armed forces. And yeah, it's just one of those things you, you kind of want to find it on your TV, the, the time it's playing. I don't live and die by it, but uh, those guys are like the last vestiges of a true amateur college football. You, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Uh, so it's just a tip of the cap to them that these are these are generally speaking young men who are going to go on to do significant things, but not in professional sports. And it uh, it's a sweet throwback that way. Yeah, absolutely. And if if we'd had a top six, they they would have been my number six. Can't can't argue that. Um, even still, for, from a national level, they get. Um, isn't it that week? Is it the weekend after all like the conference championship games are played that they play? Yeah, I think uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, they, they get. I believe they're the typically they're the only college football game on. They play that last last weekend of what is the regular season, um, and it is a it is a spectacle and it is amazing. And you know, thank thanks for for all those guys for what you know, well beyond what they do on a on a football field on that Saturday. You know what they end up doing for our country throughout their lives. So yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Yeah, well said. So. Uh, to, to put a parenthesis here, Zion has gone back to the locker room, and Carolina's up eight to three. Um, I can't imagine the uh, the Dukies aren't rattled a little bit here. Yeah, they got to be. Man, I, you know, I know I don't want to covet, you know, as a Christian, but boy, you know, I would be spectacular with Kobe White's hair, you know, from Carolina. <laughs> you would be. You would be. I would be. So. Um, I, I'll also tell you this: if there's anything to I'm like the last guy on R.J. Barrett Island. If there's anything to Barrett or Reddish uh, being better pros than they are college players, you'll know it by the end of this game if Zion's out. Ooh, what a narrative that would be. Yeah. A Barrett-Reddish-led Duke squad defeats Carolina after Zion goes out with an injury. Boy. Yeah, if if, if one of them comes up big here, they become my, my you know number two pick in the NBA draft. All right, Terry. So number number four, who are you going with for number four in the top sports rivalries? Um, going with Ohio State and Michigan football. Okay, that was my number four as well. It 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 also has a number one spot in my heart, Terry. Number one most overrated sports rivalry. Shots fired, I know. Uh, so okay, why is it overrated? I just feel like this is the one that is most likely to have one of the competitors, you know, year to year, one of these schools is going to be irrelevant. So, like, mm-hmm. when you take Duke and North Carolina for comparison, those guys play most of the time as top 25 programs. It seems like every other year, and now, unfortunately, this hasn't been the case with Ohio State in a while. Michigan has kind of carried the burden on this. But every other year, at least in the 37 years I've been alive, one of those teams is going to be outside of the top 25. And so it it sure it matters to fans of the program, but it doesn't carry the national stakes that some of the uh, the rivalries higher up my list tend to carry matchup to matchup. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, my perspective would be because of a lot of mediocrity in the Big Ten from a football, you know, point of view. Usually, though, one of these teams is vying for 
um, before the conference title game, it would have been the birth in the Rose Bowl automatically, or they're vying for that spot in the conference title game to then play and ideally win and go to the Rose Bowl. Um, even in the past, what, five, seven years, I think only Penn State and Michigan State have even been other Big Ten teams somewhat relative, Wisconsin some. Um, you know, but usually the winner of this game is going to go on um, even if it's not a national championship opportunity or in the playoff opportunity, they're going to go most likely to the Rose Bowl or, or be in contention for it. So I do think that's part of what adds to it. I do think with it being the end of the year, the last game, there's a lot riding on it, usually for one of them. And sometimes that makes it big because the other team can play the spoiler. Well, those are all very sane points, um, and I commend you for them. I, I really do think you've surfaced one of my biases here. I just don't think much of Big Ten football uh, as a as a son of the SEC. You know, uh, if you're not in the SEC or Clemson, I just I just have an irrational bias against you, <laughs> and that's just how it is. I mean, I you know I can't stand Urban Meyer and. Uh, to his credit, he has brought a much more potent combination of size and speed to the Big Ten. You know, under under his time at Ohio State, uh, you know, we're all we're all hopeful that Urban gets that rest he so desperately needs in this ten minute retirement till USC opens up. Um, but nonetheless, he did bring a, a higher caliber athlete to his programs at Ohio State, um, and it looked more like SEC ball. So I, I'm begrudgingly owning that. Um, I think most of them all had the personality profile of Hannibal Lecter, but they were they were big, strong, fast athletes. And uh, yeah, to to his credit, and I'll be vomiting in the trash can uh, now while you take over because I I just said something positive <laughs> about Urban Meyer. You're going to brag on Duke and Ohio State for the nights over, Jeff. No, I, do I don't believe. know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he helped reshape the, the some of the Big Ten uh, makeup, absolutely. And it'll be intriguing to see what uh, his predecessor – or not his predecessor, what his replacement – Successor. Uh, yeah, successor. Thank you. Um, and Ryan Day does, emphasis yeah. on suck when it comes to early <laughs> Yeah, but great, great rivalry. Um, you go back to the sixty, I believe, from sixty nineteen sixty eight or sixty nine. Um, can't remember which one, but it, it was the, called the Ten Year War. And it was Woody Hayes' Ohio State teams against Bo Schembechler's Michigan teams, and Schembechler had been an assistant coach for Woody Hayes. And you know, there, there's that historical element too, which I think is significant when we start talking rivalries because sometimes we get so locked into our our own time that we don't consider things that have happened, you know, before us. And that's one of the things that makes a great rivalry for me. There's got to be, you know, historical context to it to some degree. Well, I'm with you entirely. Uh, that That's a pretty good segue to my number two since, excuse me, to my number three, which is Lakers Celtics. We've already talked about the historicity of that one. So, Jerry, how about we just hand it off to your number three? Uh, my number three, uh, I went with Yankees and Red Sox. Uh with the historicity, you know, you literally, we can probably say this is the oldest, maybe not significant, it's not the right word, but the oldest rivalry that goes back so far 
that we can genuinely say there was a, a seminal moment between these two that was changing, the, that changed the game, that changed the sport, that changed the landscape of the sport. And it happened well over 100 years ago. And I'm referring to when Babe Ruth got traded from the Red Sox uh, to the Yankees and proceeded to lead them to multiple titles. And the Red Sox literally seemed to not recover for almost a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then when they recovered in the great Boston Renaissance, they recovered with uh, a vengeance. <clears throat> I know they, that this they, is recency bias on my part, but boy, howdy, did they recover? Yeah, they did. Absolutely. They did. They, they are getting their, their licks in. And, you know, there were other moments in time where it seemed like that the Red Sox would finally break that Yankees spell, that Yankees curse. And, um, stuff happens, you know, things happen that you wouldn't, couldn't easily explain. And somehow the Yankees would win. And you, you've got the Yankees as sort of the, the Titan esque figure that, you know, always had the money, the resources, um, the big to, personalities. Yeah, absolutely. And then you had, you know, Boston in this context, you know, being that, that more scrappy, you know, chip on their shoulder, uh, team that was just them against the world. And when they finally broke through, you know, they do so by coming from an O three deficit in, in the series that they were playing to win that, um, American League Championship Series and go on to, you know, finally claim their first World Series title since, you know, the days of Babe Ruth. Um, so, yeah, um, not not the biggest baseball fan on no stretch, but can appreciate um, a uh, significant rivalry um, that these two have. Yes, and as sort of the resident uh, baseball agnostic on the podcast – I think that this is maybe the preeminent professional sports rivalry on a national level in the United States. And that goes back generations. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. also it's also the last vestiges of Major League Baseball as the premier sport in the United States of America. Mm. Uh, yeah. This is the place you go to connect with that bygone era. And as much as I criticize baseball for throwing away all of the historicity and the way that that makes it unique over and against our other professional sports, you can still tap into that when you watch, you know, when you watch the Yankees take the field against the uh, against the Red Sox. You're right. Totally, totally agree. Um, uh, got to be up in Boston uh, this past November and got to eat um inside um the the stadium there at Fenway and um you could you you could just feel something in the air and um it it just just neat and um that's what this this rivalry is and when it's on um if you even have uh, the slightest interest in baseball you're going to at least see what the box score was um the next day you're going to at least see who who won and if, if anything happened and i think your point about um, when in the days gone by that this was a national pastime and for so many um, their allegiance was to one of these two teams and um, there's there's great history and uh, great rivalry um, that's still played to this day. Yeah. Alright, well, so we're at like the uh, 12 and a half minute TV timeout and apparently Zion's parents have went back into the locker room, Terry. As the yeah. as the world turns. Yeah, wow. Uh, I mean, breaking, you know, just breaking news here on the Sports Cam Dale podcast. You know, so whenever you listen to it, and and if if something does happen with Zion Williamson or P makes a triumphant return, a la Willis Reed during this game, you can say, you know what? 
I was listening to Sports Chrome Dale when they were recording when <laughs> Zion did this, or or the news came down that you know he, he suffered a significant injury. Oh, uh, knock on wood, knock on everything. Yeah, yeah uh, I know posting this like the day after is is going to reduce some of that, but this is what we're doing right now, folks. We're we're on the edge of our seat, just like you were when you were watching this play out. Yeah, well, yeah, we we will always remember when Jeff, yes, even sir. if no one else does. Absolutely. So, um, your number three took out my number two, and okay. that leaves only number one. But Terry, you have two number ones. Am I right? Yeah, I, I, I cheated. I really did. This um, uh, this is surprising to me. So we have we have the same number one. Why don't you talk about the the thing you brought to the table? Okay, so uh, I did a tie, and uh, I'm unashamedly um, pro NCAA football and basketball. That's just what I love to watch more than uh, anything and um, love, love watching college athletics. And so I, I had a, I, I couldn't, I couldn't decide which one I thought was a better rivalry. So I did a tie for my number one and that's Duke, North Carolina basketball and Alabama and Auburn football. All right, man. So I mean, we've hit everything I despise just in this list. Um, why? Well, no, we need to get the Patriots. Um, <laughs> thankfully they're absent. So tell me why Alabama Auburn. Um, a huge reason is uh, I love college football, so um, I, I've got to have something on this besides Ohio State, Michigan. <laughs> Growing up in the South, knowing there's so many great rivalries in the SEC, so many, so, so many. And I'll be honest, it was an ESPN uh, 30 for 30 Roll Tide War Eagle uh, that I saw a number of years ago that talked about how much the rivalry meant to the state of Alabama some of the insane things that have happened um, in this rivalry um, f- from the reasons that the game wasn't played for a number of years, um, the accusations of cheating and all, all that stuff, and, and just the nature of fans in Alabama. And, and I think that this point sometimes doesn't you know, get highlighted. When we begin to look at Boston and L.A. and Ohio State and Michigan and, and uh, New York and Boston and even Duke and Carolina – all those states have a professional sports franchise in them. The state of Alabama does not. Mm, good point. There's there's something about that being so significant to the um, the, the fandom in that state. And you know, you and I grew up. We can remember a time in the state of Tennessee when there were no professional sports. And and we can say, okay, here's what the Nashville Predators have brought to the table uh, in our state and our home state. And here's what the Tennessee Titans have brought to the table now. You know that they are a part of that culture. And barring major major changes, they'll be parts of of that culture for many 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 years. But they don't have that in Alabama. Sure. And um, it's it it just it has history. It has incredible moments, just like all these other rivalries do. It and, and you know, it's certainly uh, subjective, but, you know, when you say it means more, um, there's an aspect where I think um, people in Alabama can really, really say that. Well, that's a fair point. I'm glad you you raised it. I'll, I'll be honest, that rivalry is just entirely off my radar because I don't care for Alabama in the sense of... <laughs> Agreed. Uh, you know, I don't care for pancreatic cancer. I really only relate to Auburn as a team we compete with in recruiting. I say it, I said we again, like I'm a mm-hmm. member of the University of Tennessee football right, right. staff. So, okay, not North Carolina this time, Tennessee no, this time. Sports bigamy here. Um, <laughs> 
the the but, only bigamy that's approved on sports cam day that's what you said last time uh, so i just want to follow up that as well we've got principles here folks um <laughs> So I only relate to Auburn as a team we compete for recruits against in football. Said we again. I guess I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> and when they play Alabama, you know, it's one of those deals where, like, you know, my third favorite college football team is always going to be whoever's playing Alabama. So I just don't pay attention to this one. And I appreciate you highlighting what is a you noticeable know, it, gap. You know, with Auburn, it's that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 100%. Right. 100%. You know, so, yeah, I, I understand that. Um yeah, have you seen the Roll Tide War Eagle? Have you, have you seen that? I have um, not. Okay, that that would be worth your time and listener if you haven't either. Um, to to even help understand some of the the, the craze fandom in sports and you know in, in the state of Alabama, um, that's that seems like a fairly accurate tale. And um, they've got Charles Barkley and, and Bo Jackson in it as well. So those are two of my favorite just sports personalities um, as well. And and yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah, so that's that's why I put it, and and even that, Jeff, even me putting that um, was in large part is I wanted something from the SEC in there as well. I think your instincts are right on that, Terry. Um, so Jeff Goodman, Goodman Hoops on Twitter, Nolan Smith just came back to the bench from the locker room, shook his head when asked question from assistant John Shire, who also sucks. Uh, just a guess. <laughs> Don't think we'll be seeing Zion again tonight. Apparently, oh. Nolan Smith shook his head when John asked him a question. So that's just terrible, man. All yeah. all best wishes and get wells and don't be hurts to to Zion, Absolutely. man. All right. So, uh, well, number one, Duke UNC. I think we've already hit on some of this. Ironically for me, Terry, I think the best description of why this is the the best rivalry, the most important rivalry in sports, came from Coach Shashevsky. You know, there's that famous clip of him saying, like, these other teams may uh, may have some things in common, right? They may be close to each other, relatively speaking. But the the guys for UNC and Duke, they they pick up their dry cleaning at the same shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It is just such a unique example of how something that is intensely local can be on uh, can be of incredible importance at least in the relative way that sports are important on a national level I mean think about what rivalries have that kind of combination of people all over the world who care about them but then the people at the grassroots level uh, living and dying buying it by buy it as well so yeah yeah uh, I mean there's a ton of great articles about the stats on this thing the stats are almost creepy you know where they're within single digits of total points scored and then a rivalry and things like that. But again, I think it's the intensity of proximity along with national interest that really sets this one apart. Absolutely. And and the proximity is something that none of these other rivalries um, have, not to the level that Duke UNC does. Less, Less than 10 miles separate the two schools, the two campuses. So, yeah, uh, th- there was even an, an article up today. I, I didn't get to read it, but it talked about in the days of Michael Jordan at UNC how there were uh, games in the summer, uh, pickup games, and it was a combination of Duke, Carolina players, and you know probably some other athletes as well. And you just just imagine that. You know, obviously, that's probably not going to be permitted. You know, in, in today's game, but 
th- that the location, the proximity is such that that can happen. It just just phenomenal. And it adds to it and, and the fans and, you know, especially the Cameron crazies. Um, they add an element to it as well. Um, I believe 1920 was the first year the teams played. And so that means that coming up next year, uh, there'll be 100 years of Duke and Carolina basketball so i'm sure they'll make a big to do of that this time next year i'm already i'm already going to give them their their advertising it's the hundred years war there you go there you go so they've got everything that i think any criteria um that is brought up when you talk about great robberies has and certainly cannot debate if if they want to be put at number one absolutely not all right, guys, there you have it. Authoritatively, definitively, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, UNC Duke is the number one sports rivalry uh, in our country. Hey, Terry, any honorable mentions before we leave this one off? Mm, honorable mentions. Um, you know, I- any college in-state rivalry is always going to be significant. Um, you know, we go out west because they do have sports out west you know ucla usc is gonna you know be brought up until the destruction of the southwest conference you would have had texas texas a&m um and when the big 12 formed you know you had oklahoma nebraska before nebraska went to the big 10 uh just you know florida schools um tennessee alabama is a great robbery in the south so is georgia auburn um, in more recent years, Alabama LSU has become a real significant rivalry. Um, so you, you've got those components. You know, you could look to the NBA, and you know, you could put the New York Knicks up against, say, um, well, the, the Celtics is a big rivalry for the Knicks. Yep. You know. Yep. And, and you know, in the uh, days of Jordan and Ewing, you know, the Bulls and the um, Knicks were a big one. The the Pistons and the whole NBA. Um, when they were their bad boys personas and and stuff, so uh, I just think there's there, there's so many um, that on the honorable mention that, that you can throw out there. Um, one intriguing you know thing on our list was there's no NFL um, top five rivalry anyway. Jeff, are there any NFL rivalries that you would even say could even sniff your top five? Because um, because I'll be honest, I, I can't. Um, I, I think there's some great ones, you know. There's some historic ones, Bears and Packers, and uh, some like those. But there's not really any I would put in. And maybe that's that's what free agency does. Um, I don't know. Well, you've you've provided an excellent segue here for me, Terry, because my two honorable mentions are rooted in personal experience. The uh, the honorable mention I would give would be the Bears Packers. Uh, it, you know, my my fandom is a bull. I just end up following people who care deeply about the Bears as well. And those guys get really fired up a long way in advance when the Packers uh, game is on the calendar, you know. So tip of the uh, tip of the hat to my Chicago friends. I know that stuff matters to y'all, and you, you, you're worthy of an honorable mention in my book. The other one is probably out of left field, but it's because I know people who care deeply about this rivalry, and it's almost blood religion to them. That is Indiana versus Purdue. Oh. It seems like those guys go hard when it's uh, – when it's an intra Indiana basketball squabble. I mean, I, I love that basketball is sort of, you know, right below a religion in the state of Indiana. Those are my people. And uh, I, I think it bears itself out in the, in that robbery. Hey, yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, pointing out that great college basketball robbery, Kentucky Louisville. There's an in-state basketball yeah. robbery, yeah. Um, you know, as well. That's, 
um, something significant. Um, speaking of this game, as Zion Williams got hurt tonight, his shoe literally exploded. I'm watching them show clips, and his his shoe, his foot literally exploded out of his shoe. Not in the leg he seemed to be favoring, but um, to add more drama to this rivalry, um, will this be the game that they say this was the Zion injury or just the Zion shoe explosion? Well, let me just tell you, as go the fate of his soft tissue, so goes the stock of Adidas tomorrow. <laughs> well said. It, and so goes the psyche of this Duke team. Well, I'm not going to root for him to be injured, no. so they they collapse mentally, but... Um, don't tempt me, Felton. Uh, seriously, <laughs> I bet there is a crisis right now at Adidas World Headquarters. I don't know what it looks like to have every PR person you've ever met come to one conference, but I bet it's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of CEOs and CFOs sweating bullets in the uh, the world of the three-stripe right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Any more uh, of the rivalries that you wanted to bring up? No, I think we're ready to. I think we're ready to put a bow on that one. And uh, if it's cool with you, we'll move into. So sorry to interrupt. That works, man. All right, Terry. So we had scheduled uh, some NBA talk for. So sorry to interrupt. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come back to your. Question earlier: Are there any teams out there who who should go all in on Zion? I've got two for you. You want to take a guess on the two that I'm going to name? Nope. All right. The first team that I think should do whatever it takes to acquire the draft rights to Zion Williams, assuming that he is healthy, uh, coming out of out of this game. Okay. Yep. Number one. Uh, actually, this is uh, this is in reverse priority. So this is. Uh, the team that has the second greatest incentive to to take Zion to get Zion. Okay, that would be your Charlotte Bobcats. Wow, they are in cat purgatory. They're basically facing this question of re-signing Kimba. Uh, if they don't do that, there's going to be a full-on fan revolt because Kimba is beloved, and yes. you know, rightly so. That guy has really carried the load for that franchise. But if you sign him, you've got Batum on the books. You've got just a cap situation that doesn't give you the flexibility to build anything around him. So they're 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 being asked to choose between a popular mediocrity built around Kimba or you know alienating the fan base. Guess who's the one guy you could bring in that would give fans a good reason to uh, wish Kimba well, but not be entirely brokenhearted. Michael Jordan. Yes, but, you know, 55-year-old knees at this point. Okay, okay. Current player. Oh, Zion Williamson. Yeah. Zion immediately becomes, you know, makes them relevant. They, they become one of the, the major stories of the season. They, the contingent of reporters assigned to cover their games goes up by, like, you know, threefold. Um, again, it, it kind of not only gets you out of this tricky situation with Kimba, people will be upset, people will be sad to see him go, but it, it gives you some some gloss to cover that over and just point at the new shiny object named Zion down here and uh, also frees you up to start an actual rebuild. And he's a uh, local guy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, so that feeds into my idea that People will still be upset that Kimba's gone, but this will be the the salve that calms their fears. Mm. 
same theory, same principle. This is the team that absolutely should do everything they can to acquire Zion Williamson. Okay. That would be the New Orleans Pelicans. Wow. So what future does the Pelicans organization have in New Orleans? You know, you had a once in a generation player. You weren't able to build a team around him. Uh, you know, you're always going to be competing for third behind LSU and and the Saints there in New Orleans. What do you do to start charting, you know, a path out of that? Well, I think it's you go draft one of the most intriguing and charismatic college players that we have seen since, again, Shaquille O'Neal, Louisiana's own. And uh, I think that he immediately gives the franchise a different narrative than, hey, we we couldn't keep AD. He gives fans in that area who, you know, who are always going to love football number one, uh, a, a reason to make basket, professional basketball number two, and just starts a. He just represents a wonderful opportunity to write a second chapter for that franchise. And I'll just be honest, if if there's anything to the rumor that the Benson family wants to sell uh, the franchise, which I think there probably is, it doesn't seem like they're really committed to being, uh, you know, a totally in on NBA basketball as a as a family, then he sure does make the sale of your franchise a lot more lucrative, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely, he does. I mean, it was you called it uh, at the episode one that they're going to go to Seattle. Mm-hmm. So, uh, isn't it? Wouldn't it be ironic that Seattle, the Supersonics, leave town with Kevin Durant in tow to go to Oklahoma City, and a team that might return to Seattle would have the most talked about, longed for prospect since KD coming into the league? Absolutely. And Gail Benson will be laughing her way all the way to the bank. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm imagining that the draft rights to Zion, any any sale probably goes up by what, 10 percent? Any price gets a 10 percent bump if you have the draft rights to, to Zion. And if I mean, even if you have the, the number two pick or, you know, Jason Tatum, certainly Brandon Ingram. I don't think those guys move the needle in the way that Zion does. So uh, mm. now, don't get me wrong. I think Jason Tatum moves the needle on the court. But in terms of someone you can build the personality of a franchise, or at least the forward-facing aspects of your franchise around, it's Zion and I don't know who else. So what would happen, Jeff? Because let's be honest, New Orleans, right now, as I look, New Orleans is probably – the, has the seventh or eighth worst record. Mm-hmm. Um, so the possibility of them winning the ping pong ball uh, for the number one pick is is not very high. Any chance, let's say the ping pong ball were to bounce a certain way or they get the Zion Williamson opportunity, any chance when Anthony Davis rethinks this whole thing? No, man, I don't think so. Right. I think maybe if the trade demand hadn't happened before uh, the All-Star break, and, mm-hmm. you know, he really did burn bridges to to try to get himself out of New Orleans this year and get himself to L.A. And he's just not done a good job even since then. So, like, you have that image of him walking out of the arena with Rich Paul after he bumped his shoulder and – you know, he said the other day in an interview that he would, you know, he'd do right by the 
the fans of New Orleans when he left, and he'd he'd give them a special Instagram post. I mean, stuff like that, I think, just says, too toxic, got to move on, there's nothing left to do. But, you know, for my money, when it comes time this offseason to flip Anthony Davis wherever he's going, I make sure that, again, assuming that Zion Williamson is healthy coming out of this game and when the draft comes around, I make sure that the number one pick in the draft is my top priority. Uh, it may not be the best basketball move. I think you probably get more talent from Boston. But basketball talent isn't going to save basketball in New Orleans. They need some way to change the narrative there. And, you know, maybe you tell Trader Danny, yeah, we'll we'll deal with you, but you use your bevy of picks and assets to to get that number one pick and then put some other stuff with it, something like that. But basically – I think you got to have Zion to to have any hopes of saving that franchise or making the most return on investment you can yeah. when uh, when it comes time to sell. Wow. Yep. That's that's why I wanted your take on it. I knew you would have an informed opinion. That makes a lot of sense. That's that's what I would do if I was running a franchise. And you will notice that I am distinctly not running a franchise. This is true. Uh, speaking of running a franchise, Terry, anything that stands out to you after the All-Star break and the trade deadline? Any any roster moves that you think are particularly going to pay off well for those who, who made them? Man, hard to say. I think there were, there were so many deals or, or potential deals that were uh, that, that happened or that were discussed that really just got overrun by everything with the Anthony Davis situation. And I think that's unfortunate for the the teams that did make moves. I know uh, that you are excited about one particular move for uh, since you've been very possessive tonight about your sports teams, um, your Chicago Bulls. Um, oh yeah, we won the Otto Porter <laughs> trade lottery. Yeah, you, you did. I think the the Wizards made a decision because they they traded away Porter and they traded away um, Kelly. Uh, oh, uh, is yeah. Uh, earlier uh, in the season, they've said we're not going to play with small forwards the rest of the season. So I and think Phoenix that's said we will only play with small forwards. with small forwards. Yes, Phoenix is stockpiled small forwards like they a number of years ago stockpiled point guards. Um, so they're uh, uh, some different strategies. You know, they're going to have strategies. That's right. Yes. It's strategy. Yeah. That's right. You know, strategy, right? <laughs> um, to quote President Bush uh, via Will Ferrell. Um, they've decided, let's take DeAndre Ayton and let's take an often injured Devin Booker and let's just put four small forwards around them whenever they're on the, the court. Four small forwards in Ayton or four small forwards in Booker. And let's just see what will happen. We're in the West. What 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 bad thing could happen? And we will just have the worst record currently in the NBA even though they've got some incredible young talent. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, man. Aiton, those young forwards, none of them reach their potential without good guard play. They, mm-hmm. You just have to have guards to help forwards and post players develop. And the Phoenix Suns are laughably uh, entirely committed to not doing that. I, I don't wish any ill will towards the Suns. I, I, I don't dislike that franchise. But man, their their ownership situation. I still think my Bulls have, you know, the worst setup. Because uh, at least James Dolan knows he owns a basketball team. Uh, I don't know that Reinsdorf knows he owns anything other than the White Sox. Um, but you know, if you go 
you go Bulls, you go Knicks, then you get to Phoenix, and you're like, man, these fans deserve a better owner than this. Um, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about good good moves. About yeah. Otto Porter, Jeff. Otto yeah. Porter. Otto Porter has been better than I ever thought. Now, truth to be, tr- all my cards on the table. In his draft, I thought he might should have been the number one pick. It was a weaker draft, and I thought this guy maybe is the cream of the crop. But I also uh, did not believe that he would be as good at any point in the rest of his career as he has been for the Bulls in these first couple games after the trade deadline. (laughs) Uh, Excuse me, after the trade happened, before the trade deadline. He um he's really opened them up, man. They they needed apparently one more fairly decent shooter on the floor, and he's a competent defender. He's not in, you know he's not Paul George, but he's also not incompetent. And uh, that combination has made the Bulls against some of the weaker sisters of the NBA that you know they're counted among. It's made the Bulls look a whole lot better. So I mean you know what they say about a broken clock. It's right twice a day. I guess Garpax can be right once a year. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that happened here. Now, I also believe in small sample sizes uh, as a problem, and so this could fade quickly. But for right now, it's it's the only bit of light I have in a dark, dark universe of Chicago Bulls fandom, so I'll take it. Okay. Now, so you asked about other trades, and one of the trades that, that got a little bit of pub and, and could have some instant return and as the rest of the season goes was the Tobias Harris to Philly. And there were other pieces certainly that went along with that. Um, but what was your thoughts on the Tobias Harris trade? You know, man, out of the, the three trades that were made by the best three teams in the Eastern Conference. So uh, the Bucks picked up Miritich, the mm-hmm. Raptors picked up Mark Gasol, and the Sixers picked up Tobias Harris. I was more skeptical about Tobias Harris than any of the other trades. In fact, I I don't even know that I was enthusiastic about it because I thought, man, Tobias has been getting these numbers as the number one option on the Clippers. What's he going to do when he's asked to stand in the corner and be the fourth option for the Sixers? But again, small sample size could come back to bite us. He he has already been better for them, and they have, as a team have been better than I would have ever dreamed at any point. You know, the rest of this season. So I I look like I really misread that one. So Kent, with Golden State off the table, is there a better starting five? Than Philadelphia, Embiid, Harris, Reddick, Butler, Ben Simmons. Is there is there another just solely starting five that you would take over that five? Not counting Golden State. Not on not on a two K roster. You know, not on paper. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming that they would have the highest team rating on two K. I didn't buy this year's game. Um, I still. I don't know, man. I love Ben Simmons, and I think he's phenomenal. He's another guy that I think the Sixers should consider. Excuse me, the Sixers, the uh, Pelicans should consider making their number one target when they when they trade uh, Anthony Davis. But nonetheless, him his unwillingness to shoot, which he's. I mean, I guess he's made some initial strides, looking at like maybe he would start trying to take a three pointer or two every game. I just think that that. That really bogs you down when you get into the playoffs and everything slows down, stuff becomes more half court. So he, as much as I'm enthusiastic about his future, he is just, his unwillingness to shoot looks like the biggest weakness among the top four teams in the East. Maybe I'm over reacting to it, but it's not, it's not because I want to. I want good things for Ben Simmons. I just, 
I think that stuff comes back to bite you exponentially in the playoffs. That's fair. Uh, that's fair. Time will tell. And but with other deals, you know, somewhat under the radar or maybe not thought about, former number one pick Markel Fultz is gone from Philly. Yeah, I hope – it's another guy. I just hope things go well for him. I hope Orlando is the, the backwater area he needs to rehabilitate whatever's going on and get his head on straight and uh, rebuild that career. You know, we'll, yep. the NBA will be better off if Markel Fultz is a good player, and I hope he gets there. Um, yep. Just a couple of loose ends on the trade deadline. I really loved Miritich going to Milwaukee. I think he is the perfect kind of guy to stick out on the wing to – open up space for Giannis to penetrate. I really feel like he was a key that would unlock great things for them. And he's not a he's not a total waste on defense either. Uh, he fits that profile like the long, uh, fairly athletic. You know, he, he'll be the least athletic in the lineup, I'm sure. But long, fairly athletic, switchable defense kind of guys. So if you'd asked me before we actually saw them take the court, that was my favorite trade at the trade deadline. Um, and I think Toronto picking up Mark Gasol, you know, this is a this is a sports podcast, so I guess I got to have some hot takes. I think Toronto picking up Mark Gasol, if he's willing to play on the bench or play from from the bench, let's say fifty percent of the remaining games, that's the recipe for Toronto winning the East. Mm. So I think because very few people watch Toronto play regularly, they, they're they not often seen in the light they should. And they are a super deep, super athletic, seasoned team who can switch, who can give you different looks. Um, and you, you have Lowry and uh, Kawhi. Everybody knows about that, them. And Finally, we're starting to get some buzz around Pascal Siakam. Uh, that guy still can't go left, but it doesn't matter. He's he's rangy. Serge Ibaka looks better for them than he has in years. And I think what Mark allows them to do is say, okay, so we're playing the Celtics. Uh, we're playing Milwaukee. Cool. We're going to run out Serge Ibaka and Pascal Siakam down low. That's going to be our defensive profile for those series. Oh, we're playing Philadelphia. Okay, Mark, you're going to start and match up with Embiid, and then we'll rotate Siakam or uh, Surge, depending on who has the hot hand. And it just allows them defensively to match up really well with the other contenders in the East. I think they'll score enough points to to give themselves a fighting chance. And so my hot take for this podcast is that Toronto is the team that comes out of the East based on their defensive versatility at this point. Totally, totally disagree. Philly getting Boban, Boban, whatever his name is, puts them in the driver's seat, Jeff. You talk about Gasol and them doubling up Embiid. Will they have an answer for Boban? So, Boban, I haven't you say his name. I don't even know. But I think I know. he said it both ways. I think it's just I, showing respect to him. He's so versatile, you give him different name looks. He, he is seven foot three of dominating presence. And with Joel Embiid going to be out for a week or two as the All-Star break uh, wraps up, you watch. Double-doubles coming. Get your fantasy waiver wire work done, people. Don't tempt me, Jeff. Don't tempt me. I was I, looking today. I actually really like Boban's game, and I think he I think he could be a really good NBA player. Uh, it's wild that he's a throw-in on a trade like this. But, yep. uh, yeah, he, he may give them, give them some kind of stopgap 
not made will will (laughs) (laughs) so terry pick one philly toronto whoever milwaukee um or boston i guess i shouldn't overlook them um can any of those teams take the warriors to a game six Yes, yes, but they can. Absolutely they can, you know, because you still go out there, you still play the game. Um, they they can. You know, will they? Gosh, if, if the Warriors remain healthy and um, Cousins gives them more and more and more in the post, um, man, I just – from a matchup perspective, I just don't know how you ultimately can, can deal with that. Uh, I, I really don't. So maybe they could. Um but uh, barring injuries, I just don't see any way that Golden State is given much a challenge. Um, if they get to the playoffs and really, you know, put their playoff faces on. Um, I'm skeptical. I think I really do think Toronto has done an incredible job of roster roster construction. Easy for me to say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I think Masai Ujiri should be the executive of the year. Um, but I, I I just can't see it. I figure the Warriors, I don't know, this may be the worst Warriors team just in terms of chemistry and Draymond has so clearly fallen off a cliff. But their 85% is just so much better than everybody else's 100%. I imagine that KD and Steph and Clay by themselves will, will make it a five-game series uh, no matter who it is that comes out. Who do you think I, – I guess this will be my last question of the NBA. We've went for a while here, so we'll get down to what you're watching after this. But who do you think the best challenge is to the Warriors in the NBA? Um, best challenge to the Warriors in the NBA? Oh, man. Um Well, I think any of those teams from the East, Philly, Milwaukee, Toronto, or Boston, present some challenges for them. But looking at the whole dynamic of it, I don't, you know, if we're saying that they can't even get to six games, then what really is that challenge? Mm-hmm. Um, are the are the Nuggets really ready for prime time to get to the playoffs and to, to be that? I, I don't know. Um, we've we, we've seen those teams from the East this year in different settings really look like they could or really could or really have beaten the Warriors. I mean, Milwaukee pummeled Golden State yeah. uh, in an earlier game this year. But playoff basketball is different. And quite honestly, the, all those teams except Boston don't even know what it's really like yet because they, they their current construct of teams has not been been deep into the playoffs. Um, so I don't – gosh. I, I mean, I, I honestly think when it comes to Golden State barring some type of injury, you just – you could throw any one of them in there and say they could give a challenge. But in the end, I don't think they're going to. Do you think Toronto has done enough that they could even keep Kawhi Leonard next year? Or is this just just this year? I think they've done enough with Kawhi that he should consider them. But I, I you know, he bought a house out in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, the Clippers are going to come calling very hard there. Yes, I, I suspect he will leave them high and dry. And you know, Masai will have egg on his face, I guess. But man, he really went all in when he needed to. The only, yeah, I mean, the only criticism you can give is that that guy believed in the culture of his franchise, and it's really hard to, cons- you know, to condemn yeah. him for that. So, no, Kawhi I don't think Kawhi would, stays, but I don't think it's Toronto's fault, and I don't know no. that it's in Kawhi's best interest to leave. Yeah, and Kawhi would be the type of guy 
presumably, if he were going to stay, would, right? I mean, Well, I would believe that back when we all thought he was the ideal spur. But right, once he fair. broke with the spurs, now, who knows? He's a wild card. Yeah, yep, that's true. That's true. But the, the, even the appeal or even nostalgia or even just desire, you know, Southern California is home for Kawhi. That's yeah. right. That That's yeah. where he's from. So, I mean, even times or stuff like that, he just culture and money and all that stuff just sometimes can't override those type of things. Sure. So. Sure. Well, um, no, no love for James Harden, Terry. Don't think Houston's going to mount a, mount a challenge for the Warriors. I mean, they'll score a number of points, but they're not going to stop anybody. And last year, just to show, I mean, how, how quickly the, the, the tide can turn. Houston is an injury away, I think, from winning that series last year and going to the NBA Finals. And I, I would believe probably have won in the NBA Finals, even against LeBron. But that injury changed everything. And sure. there's nothing that's that's made me believe they're going to get back even to that, that opportunity again. Um, I think Harden is an amazing offensive player, but I think that's become all the season's been about is just his offensive performance. And I don't see anything beyond that. And, you know, Mike D'Antoni certainly can coach offensive basketball, but if you look, there's been a trajectory of his teams where they, in year two or three, hit a high point, and then sometimes injury, sometimes other things, and they just go down. Yeah. Well, I would just pile on to that by saying Chris Paul has looked like he lost a significant gear mm-hmm. uh, just off the dribble, like on, you know, when you've got a screen and roll or a switch. He just looks slow, man. And some of those guys, as much as we thought he would have an old man game that would age, some guys just can't can't adjust when the physicality has dropped 5, 10, 15 percent. And he may round into form, but he just does not look like, uh, you know, 70 percent of what was left uh, in in him when he started the season. So I have I have severe, severe doubts about Houston going forward. Yep. Uh, I'll tell you, my my team that will challenge the Warriors the most is the Oklahoma City Thunder. Okay. I think Paul George is playing at an incredible level on both ends of the court. He is the guy that you can put on, let's say, Clay and have a reasonable chance of seeing their production throttled. Or Durant, you know, however strategically you decide you need to do that. I think the emotional issues with Oklahoma City, uh, those are enough to get in Durant's head and maybe cause some friction in the locker room. If people are talking about how he left Oklahoma City and now he's going to leave Golden State. And then Russ has just, Russ has never believed that Steph was better than him or anybody else was and if he can, you know if he can find the fairy dust he he's had a rough uh, opening to the season, but if he can find fairy dust, I think that's the that's the team that maybe pushes Golden State the hardest. I don't think they beat them, but they're the ones who Golden State gets really tired of having to deal with. That you know that that's a very very good point. And the thing is, Russ Westbrook ain't afraid of anybody on a basketball court, which is his you know it's his superpower and it's his kryptonite. Correct. It's Correct. Just, which one will you get? You know right. Right. So also, yeah, you know, can can those two superstars get enough from their supporting cast to go after three, four, if Draymond were to have a complete sudden transformation, five, just top, top, top 
NBA players, you know, I think it just becomes sheer numbers. I don't know if they have enough, but from a, from, from a talent standpoint, they've got, I guess, as much a chance as anybody. Yeah. That's maybe the best way we can say it. They've got as much a chance as anybody. I think you go ahead and pencil in another title for Golden State and we'll see what happens to that dynasty in the off season. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Terry, I'm going to put a bow on this NBA stuff, man. Um, All right. Well, let's move into. What you watching? What you watching? What you watching? And listener, this is only their second time out. If, if you forgot or didn't hear last time, uh, in this last segment, we talk about the teams that are nearest and dearest to our hearts. And so that is going to be the University of Tennessee Volunteers, University of North Carolina, uh, Tar Heels, Chicago Bulls. Who else, Terry? Who am I not thinking about there? Tennessee Titans? Uh, I mean, if you want to admit that, you can. Okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. It's basically <laughs> UT and everybody else, right? I mean, between the two I, of us? I, 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 I would agree with that Yeah, and how it should be. All right. Well, we got spring college football coming, Terry Felton. We do. We do. Tennessee wrapped up with a really positive signing day. And I believe they've got 10, either 10 or 11 of their uh, uh, recruit prospects, commits, now signed. I believe 10 or 11 of them from this particular class are already on campus, and they're participating in spring drills. And uh, that's good. Uh, March 7th, they start uh, practice, and that will be good to kind of just feed the uh, feed the crazy and uh, fans who are, are looking for college football to – to get them going because, you know, we'll have March and April and then won't have anything until August, basically, as far as the, the college game goes. So, um, yeah, spring's coming and that's uh, always an exciting time. Everybody, you know, for the most part, thinks their team's going to go 15 and 0. So it's a fun time because there's no no losses yet. And it's uh, going to be interesting to see what Jeremy Pruitt year two looks like. He's made significant changes with the coaching staff, even in the past uh, couple weeks since we've talked. They got rid of VFL Terry Fair and brought in Derek Ansley from the Oakland Raiders, or I guess L.A. Raiders, or soon to be Las Vegas Raiders anyway. And uh, he's made him his defensive coordinator and DB's coach and um, moved the offensive staff around. So um, they've made an investment, I believe over $10 million, I believe is the investment in the coaching staff for Tennessee. Um, and just so they, they cannot say that Tennessee's been cheap because they have not. And it, it's going to be interesting to see, can they make a jump in year two? I think their schedule Tennessee's is going to be more manageable. Um, and, and, and what you would think would lead to a few more wins than, um, than this past year's and hopefully it does. And I think if they show some semblance of improvement, um, seven, eight win type thing in a bowl berth. I think there's going to be a lot of prospects get on the bandwagon because I think these guys are relentless recruiters. No doubt. Um, anyway, and the fact, I mean, they went five and seven, and depending upon um, what recruiting service you follow, anywhere from like nine to twelve in the country, and some guys, you know, who at one time were three, three of them in the top fifty prospects. I mean. You know, the, there went another school with the type of season Tennessee had that has the type of prospects coming in. They do. So if they can get some traction, uh, I think big-time recruits are going to be really intrigued by what uh, Pruitt and his staff are doing. Here, here. Yeah. I mean, to to know – I mean, these aren't we, – we talked about this on the last one. These aren't the 
maybe the most definitive um, metrics by which to evaluate Pruitt's first off season, but landing Jim Chaney, pulling Henry T at what looked like the eleventh hour, although. The, to their credit, they just kept chopping away at that kid. And then bringing T. Martin home, uh, if you'd have told me that two of those three things would happen uh, in the off season, I would have thought it had been wildly successful beyond all hopes. And so uh, I'm not going to let the hype train build in my heart. I've got too much battered ball DNA still. But, man, <laughs> man, these are bright lights. Um, it's hard not yes. to get excited. Yes. Yes, it is. And, you know, I think – I think Ansley is is an upgrade. Uh, I think, um, you know, no disrespect to Terry Fair, but I think an upgrade in what Pruitt wants to do. And now I believe that T. Martin, is it, is it, it's, it's the offensive staff that doesn't have this, as much tie with Pruitt as the defense staff does. I think every one of the defensive staff now has coached and worked with Pruitt before. So, you know, we, we talk about a lot with college sports. Um, offensive woes can be overcome if you have a stout defense. And um, if that's if that's the route Tennessee wants to go and they can get the players in place to to get that rolling first, then the, the offense will catch up and, and they'll be they'll, they'll be enough of what they need to be in due time. So, yeah, and yeah man, let's, let's, with let's, Prude as your head coach, you don't have to have a DB's coach. I mean, you've got maybe the preeminent defensive backs coach in the, you know, in the yeah. country. Uh, yes wearing your headset. So I'm not worried about that. The thing that is weird to me, though, is with bringing Ainsley in, making him defensive coordinator, and then Cher just gets dropped down the org chart. Do you Mm -hmm. think there's any chance he ends up Kentucky's defensive coordinator by the time the season starts? Well, I mean, I think there certainly is that possibility. Um, There... There are also guys, you know, we, we talk about the upper mobility of coaches and that there's a lack of loyalty. There are still some of those guys who just say, I want to be a position coach, you know, and, and I want to do that. And I, I don't want to, you know, do this or do that. And not saying Cher is or isn't that guy, you know, but, you know, but he could be. And, and so we'll see. I know they are giving him special teams um, along with the linebackers coach thing. He's not getting paid any less. That's true. Um, and, and, and honestly, and and I think uh, I believe most of the year Jeremy Pruitt was calling that defense anyway. So you know, I know he can say that he called certain games or whatever, and and, and maybe so. But uh, there seems to be a relationship with Ansley and Pruitt from multiple places, Florida State and Alabama. That um, Pruitt even said in his press conference that Ansley can finish his sentences. So hmm. um, if Pruitt can over time move into the role of really being a CEO sure, um, and surround. And that's why Jim Chaney was so significant uh, in a hire because there's a guy that is really, I think going to show Pruitt's um, trajectory as a coach. Can, can you have uh, enough humility to say, I'm going to trust the guy who's coached offense for 20 plus years and has had success at every stop. And I'm not going to interfere with that. I'm going to give input. We're going to game plan, but I'm going to trust him. And in the same token, will he be able to trust his defensive staff, guys he knows and know him, 
to know that they're going to be trying to accomplish the same thing. And then if he can be that guy to motivate and to recruit and, and to grow, uh, then Jeff, we could see Philip Fulmer 2.0. But if we don't, um, if he does muddle and still, even though he's a head coach, acts like he's a coordinator, then I think uh, I think Tennessee will have problems in the next couple of years because they won't um, win at the level that they could. And that goes for any leader, right? You know, trusting the people you have um, there on your team and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I think there's good signs. I think the fact that he went and hired Cheney says he is willing, at least in his mind, to grow and, and see responsibility and, and move towards the CEO model, which I'm with you. That's the that's the brightest future. Not because I not because I have doubts about Pruitt's abilities. I think I think in terms of you know, the people who are hired within a year or two around him, Tennessee's going to be fine in terms of someone who knows how to run a program and do the X's and O's. Uh, I'd put him up against about anybody. But I think the way college football has grown into empire management, you just have to have a guy who's willing to, to delegate and knows how to delegate, not just what to do, but to delegate to people who are competent. And I see these things that he's done as signs that he's going to do that well. Again, I've got my orange glasses on, but the future looks bright, Terry Felton. Yes, it does. And Tennessee got a uh, recruit uh, commitment for 2020 over the weekend. Dominic Bailey, a a D lineman uh, from Maryland and um, uh, mostly top 250, top 300 type players. So D line is an area where Tennessee is going to have to continue to build and rebuild. So uh, getting a a quality four-star prospect um to uh, be one of your early 2020 commitments is is really good and uh march 2nd is the big next big real big recruiting day for them that's the tennessee men's basketball game versus kentucky and that weekend tennessee's basically trying to have like a junior day and have a lot of prospects in they'll get to watch that ut kentucky game and then they'll get to be you know there on campus and get uh, some of their visits in and stuff so uh march 2nd looks like a number of quality prospects going to be on rocky top that day yeah i was talking to a colleague at the school i teach at and she said she was going up she's a huge kentucky fan Mm. and i said look i adjure you by all that is good if you see a young man who looks like a football recruit to nonetheless say welcome to knoxville young man it's a great place to live there you go doing what i can buddy doing what you can for your team exactly even even among the the enemies she seemed amiable though she seemed like she was willing to to not berate them um well, Terry, so I guess. I, I mean, I, I hope she doesn't berate them, but I hope uh, Tennessee berates Kentucky on the basketball court on March 2nd. Yeah, do you think that's how it goes? I mean, we were all disappointed with the uh, the UT-Kentucky game. Do, do you think we snap back March 2nd? I, I think they win that game. I, I don't know what that means before that game or after that game. I think they win that game. Um, uh, I think they will be a lot more physical. I think um, – I think the refs will call a game in such a way that they won't allow Kentucky to be as physical. I mean, they, they talk about the rupperies every time you go into Kentucky for a game, right? And and they physically manhandled Tennessee. And I don't think Tennessee was expecting that. I think that that really just took them out of their game. 
And then, you know, Tennessee played um, their worst game of the year. And Kentucky played one of, if not their best game of the year. So um, I think Tennessee bounces back. I could, uh, you know, I could see Tennessee, you know, putting another win streak, you know, together going into Kentucky. I could see them trip up a couple times. Um, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not not worried about the team. If if this is as good as they are, 24 and two, um, with a upperclassman led team that you know doesn't have the deep run we hope in the tournament, then, then so be it. You know they they've got the pieces. They they may have been exposed. They may not be exposed. I think they're tired right now. I think it is the time of season where a lot of that fatigue sets in on college teams. Um, even last night, Vanderbilt, them not playing a great game offensively, played a great game defensively. Um, and, and Vanderbilt's, you know, not not all that their fans hope they would be this year. But uh, that was their third game in six days. And um, that that's a lot to put on them and, and not have some time off. So I think um, I think moving forward they're they're going to be just fine and they've been there before. So we'll see how how they respond. Well, Terry, to update our Duke UNC news uh, at this point, Luke May is balling out. Carolina has opened up a 22 point lead, which is apparently the largest they've had at Cameron since 2011 2012. Um, it looks good for the. Tar Heels right now, no pun intended. It looks like the Dukies are on their heels. And, um, yeah, everything's great, except we all saw the freaking Louisville game when they came back from 23 down. That's true. That's true. Um, so Zion has ball reports been ruled out for the rest of this game. If he comes out in one leg, um, I think Duke will win. And even if uh, North Carolina's up 30, like he comes out with one leg, he will be able to will Duke back to a win tonight. Um, I, but I think bar, there are seven happening. layers of handlers who who would form a human wall to prevent that from happening. <laughs> I mean, again, probably, Adidas executives, so. Duke officials, but, now, now you're NBA that, people. It, it, are you saying that? Because he was wearing a Nike shoe or because he normally wears Adidas? Because it was a Nike shoe that exploded. Oh, I thought they were an Adidas school. No, they're Nike. Oh, dudes. Yeah. Something smells rotten in Oregon, buddy. You know, isn't there a certain Nike logo that is very popular? And and who did that player play for? Mm. <laughs> you think he's, he's wearing brand Jordan shoes and, and Jordan sold him out? I'm in. I, I, that's I don't my, know, that's my theory now. What, but but what if what if the ping pong ball doesn't go for the Charlotte Hornets? But what if a Zion injury scares off some people and the Hornets are able to sneak in at five or six and get Zion? Oh man, oh, Zion plus keeping oh, Kimba. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! The whole state of North Carolina would you know would just become Charlotte Hornets fans. Not that they might not be already, um, but but yeah. Hey, in, in other news, speaking of Tennessee, this is relevant. LSU lost to Florida tonight. Well, see, I'm really nervous about LSU. Everything you said about UT and Kentucky in the future, I want to believe. Um, and I would feel like those things are possible if they didn't get housed to open up the second half. I mean, that just rattled me. That rattled my cage. You know, we're the the Vols are they build their brand on being mentally tough, not getting shaken. Going out and doing what needs to be done, and uh, I, I thought there was a chance Kentucky would beat them. I thought that might even be good for UT to realize they can't just turn it on the way they have against so many other teams when it gets down to the best teams in the country. But that the beginning of the second half really shook me, 
And I'm nervous about LSU. I think there's a world where we come out and play poorly against LSU and it starts writing a a narrative for uh, the end of the season. And so whether or not LSU had whooped Florida, I just I just don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to feel good until I see Tennessee right. take the floor against against Kentucky again. So so let let me let me put you at ease, Jeff. Let me put you at ease. What this does is even if even if LSU beats Tennessee, that then brings the conference uh, standings all even. So LSU's loss tonight ends up putting them a game behind Tennessee. So now, if they don't win against Tennessee, they basically have regulated themselves to second in the best-case scenario. Let me also encourage you, my friend, that they're doing brunch on the bayou. It's an 11 a.m. tip time, central time on Saturday. Uh, Who knows why the SEC network is even allowing this, but my gosh, those LSU guys, they're not going to be out of bed yet. Now, (laughs) now. I mean, and seriously, th- this is one of the biggest games at the Pete Maravich uh, 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 arena there for LSU in, in, in a number of years. And yet here they are, you know, getting regulated because of TV stuff that they're going to have to play, you know, an 11 o'clock tip. Student sections that I'm going to be awake. I mean, the gumbo won't even be ready yet at 11 a.m. So I think there's a lot in Tennessee's favor for, from some of those mental standpoints, because I don't think LSU is mentally tough. I think they're incredibly talented and, and they may run Tennessee out of the gym. But even still, I think this team will find a way to, to refocus, reset, and to continue their run going down the stretch. And if it's a win Saturday, great. If they lose and then you basically set up a five-game race to the finish for the regular season crown, then you do. And um, I think LSU, even if they beat Tennessee, I think LSU loses another game or two down the stretch. I just don't think they're consistent enough um, to run that, that stretch and win the rest of the time. So it's okay, Jeff. It's going to be okay either way. Well, I'll believe it when I see it, and I hope you're right, my friend. Terry, we've gone long yet again, buddy. This seems like a tradition for us. Anything you got to get off your chest before we put a bow on this one? Let me tell you, Jeff, wouldn't it be beautiful? Number one, Zion Williams be healthy, and it'd be a modern knee injury. But wouldn't it be incredible if – a once-in-a-lifetime player would go to your beloved Chicago Bulls yet again from the ACC that 25 years ago, it was a guard from North Carolina named Jordan who went to the Bulls and helped change the game. Man, to pair Zion Williamson with Otto Porter Jr. and the Chicago Bulls, what a dream scenario, right, man? You can feel it coming, can't you? I mean, are you trying to make me homicidal? We already have Wendell Carter Jr., who's one Duke head too many, although I really like Wendell. <laughs> I've had to put up with Joakim Noah for years, although ride or die with the Chicago Bulls with Joakim Noah. I, I just can't handle every iteration of this team having someone I despise at the deepest core of my being in terms of the team they played for. We, I mean, even Jason Williams coming from Duke, as, as horrible as that turned out, I was just sitting there looking at it going, yep, here, here it is. I'll just be rooting for a freaking Duke head for uh, – you know, 10 years. Uh, yeah, Terry, I, I can't handle that. And, and I, I really, you know, we talked about innovative coaches and strong culture franchises as the best 
case scenario for Zion, the Bulls are neither of those things. So this is true. It's just, but a, man, you, you got to you got to be honest with me, man. Porter and Williamson sounds like a law firm. You know, <sighs> the the marking that could be done with those two, Jeff. Build your franchise around them. Come come, come with me, man. Terry, I'm going to end this show on a on a positive piece of breaking news. Okay. Okay. Not what you expected, but it's the news you needed to hear nonetheless. Okay. We have breaking news from the Hollywood Reporter that Chris Hemsworth has been tapped to play Hulk Hogan in a biopic directed by Todd Phillips. Uh, it is time to eat your vitamins and say your prayers, Terry Felton. You got it, brother. All right. So, Terry, before we wrap up here, uh, the last thing of the last things, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Terry F. And uh, hang out there. Yeah, you can get at me at Right Jeff on most social media platforms. We are at the PC CD Pod on those same social media platforms. Would love to connect with you. Specifically, we uh, we are one of the last remaining good reasons to be on Facebook. That reason is the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast perpetual after party. Woo, woo. Jump in there, guys. We'd love to connect with you. And, uh, yeah, if you're on Facebook, drop by and say hi to us. We will be back, I guess, next month, Terry. It'll be March Madness time at that point. It will be. And we will know much more about this uh, NCAA basketball season at that point. So we will look forward to that. And uh, we'll talk to you guys again in, in March. Until then, remember to live your life every moment as if you are before the face of God, because you are. Talk to you next time. Center, UNC, Duke, all-time starting five for 15 bucks. How would you build your team? Yeah, I would have liked to have gotten to that one, too. Um, so, of course, I'm paying five bucks for Jordan. Yep. I I feel like it's found money that Rashid and James Worthy are only $1. So I'm taking both those guys. Okay. Um, and now, 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 just college careers, obviously, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will probably, just for the sake of it, I'll take Vince and Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, and I think that puts so me. There's your what? five. It's a five. Yeah, that's, that's my that's five. five. Nobody from. No, nobody from Pew. Huh? Exactly. And then uh, <laughs> I also didn't have to end up with Tyler Hansbrough, although I love him for my six man. Okay. What would you do? Um, I would go Jordan. I would go Jay Williams from Duke. I would go Carter. I would go Rashid, and I'd go Grant Hill. That's a good squad. But you know what? The only problem with that squad is. What? Too many freaking Duke <laughs> players on that mess. I mean, I mean, as I look at that, Tatum and Grant Hill are the only Duke players I could even remotely say anything good about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people think Leitner, probably rightly, is the best college player ever, but there's no way he's on any team I ever have any control over. Yeah. And that he is listed there with Jordan, and Williamson is there in the $5. Just yeah. whatever, yeah, that, that, man. That, that's the hype machine. That's the...
that's the Duke hype machine right there. Uh, I showed Micah some Vince Carter UNC highlights today. Yeah. I was just like, watch this guy. Because Antoine Jameson for Carolina, even on that thing, you know, that's that that's intriguing, you know, um, uh, as well. Uh, let me see what other. So we got 15. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six Carolina, nine Dukies. Yeah, and I mean, and Grayson Allen's on there. Kyrie yeah. Irvin was at Duke for ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, even show- Tatum was on there. Even T- Tatum's on there because of his pro career. Right, absolutely. So where's like the Sean May generation, the Raymond Felton generation? Yeah. Um, Gosh, why can't I remember his name? The the little short dude who played for Denver for so long. Super fast. Why can't I remember uh, his name? Ty Lawson. Ty Lawson. Ty Lawson should be on this before Grayson freaking Allen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, but that's just just stinking Coach K and Puke's hype machine. It really is, you know, to to go. And and again, you're not – you know, you're not looking, you know, looking back, you know, farther either. You know, um, gosh, what Phil Ford, Charlie Scott were some of the guys in the seventies who were like machines for yeah. Carolina. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah, but I'm, I have fond memories also like of this of, of watching, um, North Carolina games with the Carter and Jameson, um, group at your house, um, downstairs in your room, um, back in the day. Cause like, I can't, I don't know how many times they would just, They'd run that back door, yeah. you know, back screen lob for Carter, and that wherever they threw it up, he'd go get it. <laughs> well, and you know, the weirdest thing about that in hindsight is that there was a time where I just thought visually Antoine Jameson was an even better athlete than Carter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that did not hold to be true in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But some of the stuff he would do, like, I just had this mental image of him catching one of those oops with his jersey billowing out like – you know, some loose-skinned god of the hardwood. And it was the coolest thing my little high school self had ever seen. And, yeah, yeah then Vince came along and told yeah. everybody that humans can drift. And, and and look from a pro from a, from a pro standpoint. I mean, if you're looking at that list they put together, Irving's your, your Duke guy. I mean, he's, from a professional standpoint, he's... He's it. You know, Grant Hill will never know with the injury and stuff. But, I mean, as far as prolific player, it's Irving. And you got Jordan, who's a Hall of Famer. Worthy, who's a Hall of Famer. Sheed and Carter, who've had really, really good, long careers. Stackhouse was no, no, you know, schmuck as a pro. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Hansborough would be your worst. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, for Duke? Irving's your best, heal with injury, and then honestly, you got Reddick and 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 Battier. And really the other guys certainly have not done anything of note yet. Tatum looks like he's going to. Yeah, um, Kyrie has flashes, but mm-hmm. you know, the two you mentioned before that with Reddick and Battier, those guys were basically specialists. These mm-hmm. weren't like yeah. build your team around. Now, Grant Hill should have yeah. been. Yeah. And Jason Tatum maybe. I, d- I legitimately don't think Kyrie Irving is. I think he yeah. – is one of these guys who's going to end up taking more off the table than he puts on by the time his whole career is written. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it's a competition when you think about which one had the, you know, if, if, if your answer to this question is, does their careers comprehend the NBA? I think it's North Carolina by. Oh yeah. Year, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Can, can you imagine someone paid? Oh yeah. Like $3,000. Yeah. Someone paid 36 grand for four tickets tonight. 
the, the face value was four eighty, so they're hundred hundred twenty bucks per ticket. Um, they paid over nine grand per ticket, and for this to be what happened, dude. I mean, that really ought to be a segment. I, the The insanity of our sports, yeah, devotion. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that fool is receiving the just penalty of his, yeah. you know, choices. There. Yeah, and and so here's the thing, right? This, like. No, whatever happens with Zion, th- this will be worth keeping that ticket stub because you, you're going to be able to document, you know, your presence there, and 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 maybe this Joker will get some of his money back, you know, in 20 years, you know, because of oh, the, of the, the memorabilia stuff. But yeah. Jeff, I think I think this is going to make Zion bigger. I think this is going to have him talked about more. Yeah. Than than even a, a great performance and them win tonight because now it's going to be. What he means to them. Look at they, you know. Look how much they came apart. And I tell you what, if Duke doesn't drop below number five, you have all the UT fans being <laughs> yeah, like, what the what? You know exactly. Um, because that was that was harsh to drop them, uh, like you know, like they did. Um, but yeah. I, NCAA you know, don't want none of all Twitter. Let me just tell you that. Not. No, they they don't they don't want anything UT because UT does not fit the narrative of what NCAA has become. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they 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 talk amateur and talk a great team. They don't want that at all. They want Duke, Kentucky, and you know another team or two um, that has this this incredible superstar or one and done guy or whatever. Yeah. That, that that's who they want. Um, and hopefully UT can can refocus enough. And and I hope you know I hope they just play better with a chip on their shoulder and, instead of just the. You know, the that's one thing about college basketball, right? You, you, you really – it only matters if you're number one at the end of the year. Um, <laughs> uh, stupid NCAA, man. we got to come up with a better system than this. And then we, as soon as we're done, we need to figure out how to replace ESPN too. Yeah. And, and we don't even get to – we don't get the the um, college football games and college basketball games anymore, on, you know, on PS4s or whatever. You know, we don't even get to, to you know, cheat the amateurs that way. Yeah. You know. Look, it's been said a million times on social media, but already thinking about cheating the amateurs. Some guy paid, what'd you say, thirty six yep, for, for four tickets. Yep. If Zion blew his knee out right now, how much of that money does he collect? Mm-hmm. NCAA man. Yep. NCAA. They're like a supervillain that you wouldn't believe if you read them in a comic book. That's true. Last prediction. Okay. Zion Williams, if Williamson, if he gets out of this, he just saw. What three hundred million at the minimum flash before his eyes? Mm-hmm. Does he play for Duke again? Ooh, ooh, Jeffrey. Would you play man. for Duke again? Man, you know what? If there if there is a hint of anything significant, no. And you and you point to your boy Kyrie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you say, you know, if this is if this is the start of something significant, you know, and I'm going to have trouble, man. I gotta. I got to save and I got to save myself and I got to get mine and, and I got to be able to go to, you know, a combine in the summer and prove I'm okay. And, you know, winning, you know, for, for you guys, you know what, you guys got enough. I I mean, seriously, take Zion off Duke. Duke is at minimum a top 10 team at minimum and, and probably should still make the final four. I mean, if the matchups go right and everything, you know, Barrett and Reddish are, are really good. And, um, yeah, man, but that's dude, that's, I don't think that's much of a hot take, man. You, you gotta, you gotta think about it because the NCAA has created this 
Exactly. They, 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 exactly. They've created it. So, you know, this is this was but a stepping stone for him to display his talent and then get to the league. This was not, okay, we're, we're you know, son, season's over. We're going to be back next year and we're going to we're going to dominate and you're going to have chance to recover. You're going to have motivation galore and you're going to lead us next year to a title, the title we should have won this year. And then we're going to go for another one your junior year. No, we've turned it on its head and created what we've created. And the other thing that the NCAA could create that would have helped and that they did not do is we have made X amount of dollars selling your jersey. That money is waiting in escrow for you. Don't worry. Yep. You're going to be well taken care of no matter what Mm -hmm. happens. They don't do that. So I'll just tell you, I'm going to go with you. I don't think he plays for Duke again. No. And look, if there is a shred of humanity in Mike Krzyzewski left, how would you look him in the eye and tell him he should? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Or, okay, so he comes back. Is there any way he plays with the effort and the intensity? I mean, because you watch guys who have knee injuries. It, it's always the mental before mm-hmm. it's the physical, you know, or it's always the mental hurdle that comes after even physically when you're fine. Um, man, every and time I think he goes for a lot of baseball, these guys, Terry, this is, you know, their body has never betrayed them. They're, they're like the best athlete ever that they've ever met. Yeah. They don't know what it's like to not be bulletproof because I mean, yeah. they're young already. You feel that way anyway. Yeah. You're, you know, a transcendent athlete. It's hard to shake off like your first brush with mortality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, man, I'm I'm going with the the Nikes of Zion Williamson sabotage by North Carolina alum Michael Jordan and he yeah, he took him down. He took him down so he can get him if he falls lower than number 1. He took him down to take Duke down because Duke and Carolina hate you that much, man. Conspiracy theory. Run with it. Yeah, and, and Jordan's psycho competitive enough to, to think on that level. 